On this week's Bet the Process podcast, Rufus and I will do a little name dropping. Okay, fine. I do the name dropping. Rufus just kind of makes fun of me about it. But we do talk about my panel at CES and sort of a macro look at the the industry and the challenges the industry is facing. And then we go into the NFL games where we try to make some picks and we look at the college football championship and give our final words on that. So with that, let's start the process. Bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome to the post CES, and uh, I guess this is what conference championship weekend? No, divisional playoffs. What divisional. It? It's it's the one year anniversary of the DraftKings Sports Betting National Championship. Oh, how did you do in that? I don't remember. Bronze medal, baby. Third place. Third place. What I'm the third best back? sports better in all of the nation. Or New Jersey, or of the people that went to that actual show. Of the people that were in New Jersey at the time interesting should we play it out this weekend just like it was happening again and we'll give you a stake of ten thousand dollars and see how you can do because if you could actually turn ten thousand into whatever you turned it into last year that seems like a pretty good weekend dude it was all skill hitting that that parlay with like charles howell winning some group and something else happening it was you should do that too total skill total skill play a bunch of parlays this weekend and see what you how you can do um do my best impression of parlay pats what's what's going on you you mentioned that you wanted to talk about the panel that i did at ces um for those of you guys don't know i moderated a panel at ces about the future of sports betting that had um matt king from fanduel uh, mike primo from fox bets he was formerly the founder of a company called victive that um was bought by i think stars group and they made part of um the sort of new venture that they're doing and then um sarah slane who used to work for mgm worked for the aga and um is now a consultant and uh who was the last person oh, and then scott butera from mgm who kind of runs mgm interactive what were, what did you have thoughts on this or the questions you wanted to ask me well there was a really good uh, article in the las vegas review journal by todd dewey about uh about the panel and and you asked you had a line of questioning that I particularly liked uh, about sort of live wagering. And do you want to kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think so the, what I was trying to do was take the panel through a, through an arc, right. You know, like the, I think you guys that follow me know that I take moderating panels seriously and I, I prep for them and I try to have them actually inform people because the theory in my mind, at least is if you're going to make people sit in these rooms and listen to you, like you should give them some value from it. So the arc I was trying to take us through was one, one thing I did that I, I I've never done before. And I think is actually a really smart thing for um, panel uh, moderator to do is you ask these people some questions um, privately and the same questions privately before you go onto the panel. And if you, especially if you think that question can give a wide range of answers, you have some level of dissent or disagreement or conversation before. So the first question that I asked was, what do you guys anticipate the handle will be in 2030? 
And I got a wide range of answers, some wider than I thought, mostly because like some people didn't actually even understand that I was saying handle. So I got everything from 15 billion to uh, 500 billion. Um, 15 was a mistake. The person that said it said they actually, if they wanted, ha- was saying handle would have been more around 150 million to, sorry, 150 billion to 200 billion. Um, so the range was really around, say, 100 billion to 500 billion, with 500 billion being like incredibly ridiculously high. And so asking this sort of question first, you know, then you can talk about, okay, well, how do you support or how do you like, what, how do you justify this, this prediction you're making? And, you know, on the high end at the 500 billion, how do you actually grow handle? And so growing handle, you can talk a little bit about what are the things you do to grow handle. And, and that gave an opportunity to talk about like, shouldn't professional sports betters, shouldn't you allow professional sports betters because they're going to give you a high amount of volume. That's the easiest way to grow handle. But it actually, there was obvious conversation about products. People continue to talk about products and innovation. And then people continue to talk about live wagering. And I, I was actually challenging the notion. And, and I think we've talked about this on, on the show that live wagering can, especially on, on um, you know, us sports, can actually drive that much volume right now simply because the sports books don't allow it to drive very much volume. There's, there's technical challenge, but there's also the, the risk management challenges that, you know, they, they intentionally introduce a delay in the approval process. So I make a bet, um, real time. Uh, I see the wheel spin and the wheel is probably going to spin longer for a live in-game bet that it will for a pre-game bet because someone is manually approving that bet. Um, as crazy as that sounds and they will wait at times to see what happens in the game to make sure that they aren't taking on a liability in that situation and so oftentimes these bets are going to get rejected simply because the odds are no longer in their favor when you make that bet yeah that's i mean that's an excellent point i don't know if you saw on twitter a few days ago somebody posted a video this is from oregon of of their experience live betting. Um, this is an SB tech book and they submitted a bet. I think it was at minus four and a half live betting NBA. It was like minus four and a half minus one away. That number might be wrong. And, and, and first thing that comes up and says line has moved to minus four and a half minus half minus one fifteen. Do you still approve of this wager? I said, yes. Then spinny wheel for 30 straight seconds. And then it says your bet has been accepted at minus five minus one twelve, And that kind of thing, um, you know, I'm guessing that person would rather have had the bet be rejected. Um, that that should but not be allowed. Actually, it isn't you know, allowed. What's, but. what's interesting is you don't know if that's true. Like sometimes in these in these situations in in lifetime betting, oh, you're you're, well, the problem is that the, that this approval process is not symmetrical and it's not it's not um it's not benign in terms of how whether they're approved or not. Right? There's a selection bias about people approving it. They're only approving yes. it when the are going to be in their favor. And that's the unfortunate thing, but like sometimes they're free rolling you, right? They're free rolling the better. Oh, sorry, they're, they're free rolling themselves against yeah, the better. Free you, it'd be nice. No, they're if, not free rolling you. The book will never free roll you. Yeah, um, and you know, and I think, I mean, I'm so. One of the things we we give bookmakers a really difficult time, and on this podcast, and generally, like some of the people that that we deal with on Twitter, and. The, the challenge that I think bookmakers have right now, and, and this is one of the things I'm starting to understand a little bit, is that much of the processes and the software that's in place in the U.S. is, is, uh, is dominated by the worldwide market or the sort of the European market, meaning that 
it doesn't necessarily cater to U.S. sports. And even if people wanted to do something very different in the U.S., it would be hard for them because the risk management still lives in Europe and it's still built on technology that's built for European sports. And even Hell, it's still built to- on Euros, man. What's that? It's still built in euros. Yeah, you get like I mean, bets coming so, back. It's like you've been approved for $38.23. Nobody wants to bet $38.23. And, like, and so nobody, you, nobody likes cents. Yeah, cents should be taken out of our currency and everything yes. should be whole dollars. That'd be great. Um, so, you know, if you look at it, you know, even just something um, like with the DraftKings announcement of buying SB Tech, you know, that, that announcement is obviously because they want to be able to control their technology stack so that they can continue to innovate. And, you know, I give sports books, at least Matt King, who was on the panel, I give him credit. Um, he's the president of FanDuel and, or CEO of FanDuel. And I give him credit for, for saying, yeah, yeah, we do want to try to innovate. But the reality is right now, it's really hard for sports books to innovate. One, because the sort of technical challenges of being reliant on these sort of European software companies or companies that are predominantly serving European customers. And then the second thing is that right now with all the land grab and all that's happening in these different states, they're not worried about innovating. They have to worry about how do we get live in this new state before someone else does. And so instead of creating new products, they're creating you know new markets. They're opening new markets for themselves that aren't necessarily any better than the existing mar- existing products that they have right now. Right. Instead of spending on innovating, they're spending money on lobbying. Yeah, that's the reality. That's, I mean, they're they're running a business, and and that's the unfortunate part of what's happening right now. And so, you know, it, on, again, back to this panel, one of the things that I was you know frustrated with is that I asked sort of off the record to not off the record, but privately to all these guys like who's going to win or what will win, you know, obviously this is competitive and there's what will win. Everyone said like R and D or products, best product. And I'm like, what does that mean? Best product. And like, how do you actually, how are you actually going to get to it? And they would talk, they were talking about, you know, machine learning for customer profiling and being able to push customers, not necessarily profiling, but just generally being able to push specific types of offering to customers that, you know, will be interested in betting on things and, you know, people brought up things like, you know, companies like Stitch Fix, which are really good at machine learning data science. I'm like, you guys are so far from Stitch Fix. It's not even, it's not even close. And just this notion that, you know, the unfortunate part is that you really, I think you're really going to see very little innovation on, on these, in these companies for the next say three to five years, because they're just so focused on having to, you know, like just have shit work from a regulatory standpoint. And then, and so, yeah, I mean, I think three to five years, like things are going to be a pretty much a standstill in terms of innovation. But Jeff, it's not the operator. There's a, the operator is only one part of this ecosystem. You have all these B2Bs, such as like SB Tech. SB Tech's obviously trying to get their platform sold to as many US, US operators as they can. And, and you know, they, they've come in with really, really low bids, which, you know, they can't be really making money on, but, but just trying to get in the door. But the B2B companies, the, the Canbys, the SB techs, they're the ones that can be focused on this innovation, right? I mean, maybe, maybe not. I mean, right now their customers, they're, they're, they have so much, uh, so many of their customers are in, are in Europe, right? Like the roadmaps are dominated by these companies, by what's happening outside of the U.S. because the U.S. market hasn't become big enough for them to sort of rearrange their product roadmap for the U.S. But, they, but I think the U.S. is going to be a huge market. That's why everybody is throwing so much money at it. That's why right, DraftKings but, but, and FanDuel are okay with losing. Like, what, I think DraftKings lost 41 
million last year and fit or Fandu lost well, 41 guess, million DraftKings lost 100 million but wait like Jeff wait wait the question is why like it's a huge competitive advantage for one of these B2Bs to be able to have better products right is not who operators are going to want to work with if the operators think the best products are ultimately going to win or do they want do the operators want to do it entirely themselves like DraftKings buying not buying DraftKings SB Tech and DraftKings and Diamond Eagle combining um to you know to be able to sort of control their own thing so that nobody else you know if they develop if, if sb tech develops this great product it's it's theirs and they can kind of hoard it essentially i'm not sure like i mean i think what i what i was hearing a little bit at ces from people is that there are a lot of technical challenges to building an sb tech platform and i wonder you know, like you had introduced me to a, to, to a guy and I haven't had a chance to connect with him yet, but that is, that's, you know, sort of trying to build this thing from bottoms up. And I'd be curious to talk to him to see like how hard this really is because people are telling me how hard it is and you know, why is it so hard? Well, there's all these different pieces and there's risk management and there's analytics and you got to support all these different sports and you got all these, and it's just like, I mean, I've been in software for 25 years at some level. And the, the idea that this is, this is that hard is, is surprising to me, I guess. And so, um, but if you get back down to like the innovation piece of it, um, it, the innovation piece of it is challenging because it's a whole experience and there, I, and there isn't necessarily enough uh, money attached to that innovation right now. That's obvious for someone to do it, even for an SB Well, well I mean, but think about like a simple bet. They've raised $22 million or, I spent 20, they've raised a lot of money and, and they, that's what they were going to do. They were going to do algorithmic but risk they were management. Doing, they were AI. focused on pricing and, and they weren't necessarily focused on creating. So when I say product, okay, I'm not necessarily talking about being able to make, you know, like what Swish and, and Simple Better doing, like where they're, they're trying to allow you to do all these different like in-game props and price those correctly and all that kind of stuff. Like that's fine. If you, if, pricing those correctly is only you know maybe a quarter of the problem the problem is actually creating the right experience that's actually integrated into a broadcast or into wherever you're following that is you know fun and competitive and social and and that has you know what i just said has nothing to do with pricing right pricing is like the thing that allows you to do this and take bets on it but at the end of the day, like maybe pricing doesn't matter, right? Maybe if you do something that's a paramutual, you don't even have to worry about pricing. And that's like what I've become much more interested in is the concept of paramutual betting because then the sports books aren't necessarily the adversary. They're just, you know, a conduit making this happen. And even well, if you get leagues into a situation with paramutual betting, the leagues could actually think about taking rev share now because they're not, they're no longer, you know, ha- had an adverse incentives to who wins or loses. Well, so by paramutual, I mean, I'm guessing you're talking about like taking a break. Um, not, not the no, whole. I mean, I'm talking about like something as simple as like, hey, let's do, let's do first to score a touchdown. And the, and the know, odds are determined by how, much, how, by how much money's bet on each? Yeah. Just so when you buy a ticket, you don't know what your actual, you don't know what right. price you're actually well, I mean, be you, getting. You probably, you probably you wait till the, what the current, it's just like what, you just know. Just like horse racing. Horse, horse racing, right? With the current and... Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you, you look at like poker, they take a rake. There's, you know, they don't have their incentive is entirely volume. Same with, same with DFS. They take a rake 
And I find the DFS thing interesting because people still still love. There's a lot of people that are very interested in DFS because it's it's a game. It's I feel like but it's people, something that appears okay, appeals but, more but people, to like the the younger generations. But than the DFS sports problem, right? The DFS problem is that it is like ultimately the the biggest sharks and minnows thing in the world, right? And and also like even if you go like I know you wanted to talk about this Tate and Tet, you know Jade and Tanner Roper or whatever. Thing. I don't know their names. Well, I do because I watch The Bachelor, but um, so you have to, wait, Jeff, you have to tell me who to pick for this Bachelor pool that my fiance is making me join. I haven't watched the season yet, so I, I wouldn't know, but I can talk to some of my friends that know Bachelor stuff. And um, okay. anyways, the the point is that um, you know, I, I think DFS is really interesting because the whole idea that there's like the the these sharks and minnows, and then even just within this, you know, where there are these, you know, t- terms and these, um, you know, things like rules that you have to like, otherwise you are colluding, you know, that notion that the notion that what Tate and what, what Jade and Tanner did um, Tate and was easy for them to do. I can't imagine they're the smartest human beings in the world. So if they figured it out, that means it's relatively easy to do. And then it gave them, if, if people feel like it gave them an unfair advantage, yet wasn't, shouldn't be allowed, that just seems like a weird, broken game if those things are all, all truisms. If it's happening all the time. And, and I know no, that if, if it's it not, is. I mean, I know there's hard people to do, that... If, there are, it's not that hard to do, and it gives you a really good advantage, and it's... But it does it give you a really good advantage? Well, that's the question. If, it, if, it, doesn't, if it doesn't give you a really good advantage, then why, why the hell is it illegal? Or why I mean, when, I've looked it? In, when I've looked into sort of for golf DFS stuff, you know, the more entries you have, the marginal value of each entry decreases. Because you're taking up more and more of the pot and you're paying more of the rake and each one becomes less valuable. But the argument with this particular instance was that there were only four games. And so there's only, there's, there are a limited number of feasible combinations, I guess, or or much more limited than an average NFL slate. And so they beat by virtue of having all these entirely unique ones or better positioned. So again, like if it's possible to do that, isn't that like a broken game? I think it, well, from a perception standpoint, it's broken. I, I would like to see someone like actually run numbers and actually see what the, what kind of edge run some simulations based off of this versus, you know, and sort of give me a sense of what the magnitude we're talking about is here. And I know there's people smart enough to I do mean, that. Shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't DraftKings do that? Isn't that their job to figure that out? Maybe that's what they're doing right now. I doubt they're, it. they're doing this review. Well, if they actually came out and said, "Look, they have a thousand employees." The by the way, did you know that they have a thousand employees? Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, compliance. You need a lot for compliance. Is that more? And stuff. Is that more or less employee? More, fewer, fewer, more or fewer employees? Than Rufus Inc. Huh? Well, Rufus Inc. is is still on our first thousand. Rufus Inc. Vandalay Technologies. Vandalay. Uh, anywho, so. Yeah, again, like back to this DFS. Wait, I forgot how we even got on this subject. We were talking about... We were talking about... You were talking about peer mutual. And and I think peer-to-peer is the future. It just... But not necessarily peer mutual. I 100% disagree with you. Like peer-to-peer is not... Peer-to-peer is so far from like being able to be regulated correctly. And you you mean you... Did you hear in the panel like the idea of the WIRE Act is one of the reasons that exchanges aren't going to work in the U.S. because it's just 
it's just of too course, hard. of course, without with with the Wire Act, it won't work. But I think that at some point you won't. I mean, the Wire Act right now is widely. I don't want to say misunderstood because it's interpreted differently by different people. It's very much open to interpretation. And I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going so, to stand the test of time. Right? I think eventually that will, we, I think eventually we will get clarification or, or it'll be, it'll be repealed or we'll have Wait, something what you, new. What do you call this thing that I'm holding, right? Rufus, this thing I'm holding. Yes. Right? What do you call it? A phone. Okay. What kind so, of a phone is it? An iPhone. No, but what kind of phone is it? A is mobile it a wired phone. phone, or is it a wireless? It's a wireless phone. phone. So theoretically, if I'm distributing information that's wireless, should it be part of the Wire Act? Well, it, it's not does the, the Wire Act actually act. say through a wire? It, I mean, I'm I sure it says originally through a wire. They yeah, probably but modified it's, it when the internet came out. But even the original look, internet was obviously wires, right? It's like copper wires. That shit's getting transferred. Well, well, you know, I mean, we have Supreme Court, we have judges and stuff and Supreme Court justices to translate we'll the Constitution some, some, to 2009, 20 anyway. terms. You need more what? Ted Olson in my life. That guy was the best. Yeah. You know who Ted Olson is? No. He's the guy that argued for the overturning of PASPA. For oh. He was, the, he was the lawyer. He was the guy on the panel with me. He was like a stud. So anyways. Um, but way to make me feel dumb. It's not that hard. Right? I'm sorry, Ted. You're the best. It's not that hard to make you feel dumb, right? I know. Um, anyway, so back to the panel. Anything else that you want to talk about on the panel? I mean, I, I thought generally, you know, people told me that it, they thought it was a good panel. I thought it was okay. I thought it was probably better than most panels um, at these types of things. But it it was hard because all these guys were pretty like-minded. They were all on the operator side and there wasn't any sort of dissension and any sort of challenging. So I had to do the challenging myself. Is there anything that surprised you? Um, I, I think there's something that Matt King said. So Matt King I, surprised me generally as being pretty well-spoken and, and, and um, he handled every challenge I gave him pretty well. Um, when I did my pre-call with him, I thought that he and I were going to really sort of butt heads on the, on the, and I thought I was going to, you know, maybe make him look dumber than, I, I don't know, just, I thought I was going to go after him, but he was very good on the panel and he was, I thought he was, and he was, the things he said were very uh, insightful. Um, one was that um, none of these regulators, this is the first online product that these guys have ever regulated and their classic regulation is around physical locations. That's why they think about these things all in these physical location type things like these, these actual physical premises. So um, I thought that was sort of interesting that I had never thought about. I thought like the exchange wire act thing, which was obvious, you know, like everyone knows that, but I also thought it was like good that it was brought up. Um, I thought it was interesting that they all said that they were surprised at how quickly things were moving. And that's like, I guess that's surprising, but also it's not surprising because as soon as people see dollar signs, there's, there's movement towards it. I think there's just a lot of, you know, Sarah and I had a pre-call where she talked a little bit about the idea that the U.S. is so far behind because it's been so fixated on these physical locations and, you know, mobile is behind. And I, I think all of that. And then I just think that like the admission of the lack of, of real technical innovation in this space was, was frustrating because I think that, and, but I don't know if there's like a reason why they should even, like for me, it's more just like, let's just fix it and let's not be 
but but let's also like call a spade a spade and realize that we have a long way to go before we're actually like innovators in the space. By the way, so there's two things I want to hit on there. First off, the whole the the I thought it was interesting what you're saying about the regulations not being cut and dry and not being designed for mobile products. And I think um, I think that is interesting to me because as you know, and I think many people probably know, I'm working on this um, nonprofit in the sports betting space um, to sort of protect betters. And a lot of that, I think we, we're going to want to form good relationships with regulators and try to sort of give them guidance on, and we'll listen to them, of course, but also on what matters to betters. And so um, you saying that makes me think that there makes me more optimistic that actually we might be able to, that, that maybe it's, it's necessary. I mean, I know, I do think this nonprofit is necessary. Um, but the second is, what do you, you know, you keep talking about the inf- so innovation and the technology side. I know you mentioned the parimutuel stuff, but, but besides that, are you talking about like just new types of betting to engage people? Or, or I mean, I'm trying to figure out exactly yeah, why. I'm talking about new, I'm thinking, talking about new types of betting to engage people, but also just the whole experience around betting and like what, what it what it means to make a bet um what it means to follow a bet what it means to you know like okay so a type of innovation would be like in play wagering and actually like making in play wagering work better and making it like fundamentally like faster more fun um or like if you're watching a broadcast some like on your phone you could have you know an interface that pops up where you, you know just while watching the game where you can bet like integrate the betting into the, into there. I don't know. I'm just. Yeah, for sure. I mean, but that, that's not, I mean, that's obvious and that's something I think they're going to do. I mean, the, the integration with the media is something that everyone's going to do, but like, again, like what does it mean to do that? How, how, like everyone again is still fixated on, you know, I bet this game minus four and a half or whatever. And, and maybe I allow, I'll allow you to cash out or maybe I'll do some in play, but the, the fundamental experience is not, is not changing and it's not, it hasn't changed. And yeah, I mean, I have a bunch of ideas around this. I, I, I don't want to like give them all out because they're, they're ideas that I'm working with, you know, media companies on and, and trying to help them evolve and they pay me to do it. So I can't like just tell everything on the podcast. Otherwise, like then why would someone pay me to do this stuff? I don't know. That's yeah. Unreasonable. That, that seems reasonable. I mean, no one. Although our listeners say they might start paying us for our podcast, just have them sponsor. seven listeners times a dollar, seven dollars. No, I think we're going to do like a million dollars to sponsor the podcast and see if we can close like three people because that's just way easier. It's like enterprise sales versus actual like uh, consumer brand. You think we'll ever be able to scale and get more people at a million dollars a pop? Just more listeners. I think we're going to get more. I think we have more lists. Have you looked at our, our, uh, our stats recently? Have you? No, I haven't looked at them at all. I've been too busy. I looked like a month or two ago. I was at, I was at a CES. Um, and at this dinner that I had, everyone always gives me crap about name dropping. So I'm going to do some name dropping. I'm not the only one that gives you crap about it. Everyone gives me crap about (laughs) it, which must mean I'm just like a horrific name dropper. So I'm at dinner at Carbone. Um, with uh wait wait now your restaurant name dropping but carbone carbone Primo. and i'm there with um the, the ted um tom ricketts the owner of the cubs and kane kennedy or, or sorry crane kenny 
the president. Wait, wait, wait. Is it Kane Kennedy or Crane Kenny? This Crane, is, this is, Crane, if, if you're going to name drop, at least do it well. Crane Kenny. And they're both super nice guys. And I'm there with the guy from CAA, Alan Gold. And uh, I'm there with a couple of people I'm working with on, on some of the projects I'm working on. And anyways, uh, this group of people sits down with us, our carbone for, you know, a good, you know, 20 to 30 minutes and just kind of has a drink with us and we're chatting and they introduce themselves and they're, they're all in like the VC investment world around sports. And anyways, like after they've been sitting down for 20 minutes, I look across the table and I turn to the guy next to me and I'm like, um, is that Lance Armstrong? And I was, and he's like, yes. So Lance Armstrong sat down at my table and for 20 minutes, I didn't realize it was Lance Armstrong. Did he say anything? Yeah. I mean, he was, we were, talking to him and they introduced him as Lance, but it didn't occur to me that it was Lance Armstrong until I actually took a look at him. Like, when do you think Lance Armstrong's going to sit down across from you? That's, that's I mean, amazing. It's like the time when I was, uh, when I was like, uh, when we were doing 21. And again, this is another great name job story. And uh, I, we were at the post party for our screening in New York and we were at a Mercer kitchen in, in the village in New York. And, I sat down with Jim Sturgis, the dude that played me, and he goes, hey, let me introduce you to my friends, and I'm talking to one of the girls, and she was sweet and nice. She goes, oh, you're the one the movie is based on, and I was like, oh, yeah. I'm like, what's your name? And she's like, oh, I'm Ashley, and this is my sister, Mary-Kate. Damn. That was a pretty good one. Olsen twins. There you go. Good Related. identification, Rufus. T- Ted Olsen's daughters, right? There you go. Yeah. It all comes full circle. Okay, so we have 10 more minutes. Um, do we want to actually talk about some sports or do you guys just want to hear me do some more name dropping because I've got plenty of other name dropping stories. I want to hear name dropping for seven minutes, sports for three. <laughs> no, let's do go. sports. Let's do sports. We have four games to go over, so um, hopefully. And we're in the national championship, although we've already kind of gone over that. So we don't have that much time. Um, you don't have – you only have one play. Um, you sort of said to me, Baltimore, I, I feel like Baltimore – it's interesting because Baltimore, um, have you heard anything about these like Tennessee rumblings around? They have like non-classical sort of uh, analytics and strategy around um, like being able to really get really good matchups. Like that's what they do really well. And if you think about like that, um, the Patriots game, like they use that tight end from Harvard that I never heard of. And Ferkser. Ferkser and yeah, and seemed like, they were able to get some pretty favorable matchups and some pretty favorable situations. And that's something that like analytics might have a hard time uncovering or cla- anyway. So the notion yeah. that analytics um, would have a hard time. I mean, analytics is defined so broadly. It could have a hard time or an easy time, depending on what type of analytics you're talking about. Like shouldn't, sure. if a team is good at getting good matchups, shouldn't that, translate to their on-field performance would, pretty well so if you're if you're if you're measuring yards per play or whatever metrics you're using play success etc explicit plays it would bear out bear out in the data right okay so so you like the ravens minus 10 did you they were, um, you were they i got it it's it's up to minus 10 now i got a minus nine and a half minus 101 it was nine and a half from it was nine and a half most of the week it got bet down early right it opened it was at 10 early and, and then well, it went got bet down it opened at nine on sunday night jumped immediately up to 10 and then it was bet down like on monday because i and bet so, it's i think i bet it sunday night at minus 10 even so, i considered betting at minus 10 even and i waited i was like well i yeah i waited and it, we got a better price but you know yeah patience baby 
So I'm, I was surprised that you didn't have the Texans plus when the, you, when the Texans went to 10, you didn't have te- the Texans. No, in, I, I didn't. And is that because you think I'm anti-Chiefs because I was last year kind of? Um, I, th- I think I looked at Mass- the Massey Peabody numbers and just to, to get a sense of like where you, what you might be on and it seemed like you were just showing some value on the Texans there. No, I mean, you have to remember Kansas City's coming off of a buy here. I know, but I did all that home field and buy and everything like that, and it still seemed like you'd be on the Texans. What do you what's, make that What's on? impressive to me is that Kansas City actually has an above-average defense now, according to Massey Peabody, which seemed like you – know, Well, they, they, they have a good pass rush. And all. What, what did you make that line? I made the line 9.9. I also have a greater wow. home field advantage here. Interesting. I have home field of three points um, for this particular game. Is that the player model? Is that a, put, does that have J.J. Watt in there or some level – some? Amount no, no. That, that I mean, the player. So the player model makes it minus eight, right? Okay. Which does, which has JJ Watt. So, um, yeah, I guess if I had to pick a side, I'd take Houston. But I'm how about not. the Niners Vikings game? Now that if that popped and went up to seven and a half, would you be? Would there be any interest in the Vikings? Yeah, I think it's seven and a half. There might be. I mean, I, I make it six. Player model makes it four point seven. Um, so, yeah, seven and a half. I, I would. I would take a piece. Yeah, I'm going to – what's that? What about you? We don't have any plays in any of the games except for the total in the, um, in the, in the Seahawks-Packers game. We have the over in that game. That's the only what, thing. what do you make that total? I don't have to look, but higher than that. Higher what, than did, what did you bet it at? At 46 and a half. Okay, I, I make it 48. Got it. And, um, and do you not have – you don't have any – leanings on seattle green bay on the side because that's all the way up to five now i believe i mean i personally like our, our our model does not have it but i personally like the seahawks i i just i think the packers have been overrated all year wait um, and the seahawks haven't but I mean, not to the same degree i guess i mean the seahawks have been properly valued would you say they've been overvalued i mean you just bet them last week against the niners where you showed a lot of advantage against them if you in the, well i bet philly last week against them right it's, but it's what more I mean, that i'm lower on the niners i guess Right, but I mean, I, I just I, I think the Seahawks have been. It's not like you've been betting against the Seahawks all year, but you have been betting against the Packers all year. That's that's true. It's, yeah. I mean, the Seahawks are an inch. I mean, both teams have been very, very good in one score games. So I think by that sort of Pythagorean Pythagoras would say they were lucky. You know, what would be interesting is to, to to run some simulations on the Seahawks where you where you actually changed their play calling mix. I one of the reasons that they're not as good offensively is because their efficiency is down because they run the ball so much, right? Yeah, I and tweeted. If they, actually, if they actually threw the ball more, they would probably be a much better offense and they would be a better team. I tweeted out during the game last week that imagine how good Seattle's offense would be if they treated every down like third down, if their play calling was, was that way. But they insist on running the ball. And – you know, with now with their fourth and fifth string running backs, I'm calling Marshawn Lynch the fifth string, even though he wasn't. He looks like he's eaten way too many Skittles in semi-retirement. But they they're a team that is a result. Though think about this: they, they'll if, if they're down two scores, they're going to be passing the ball a lot, and they tend to be really good there. And that's why they kept pace with the Niners, even though they were thoroughly outplayed early on. But um, because once they started throwing the ball, they their offense was good. Whereas and if they ever get a lead, they get all conservative and run the ball, which lets the other team back in 
which is What's why the they play all these one-score like games. Bay? Is the weather going to be a factor at all? So last time I updated this, I had it at 20, my, my average projected temperature of 27 degrees with a wind speed of 6. I updated this, I think, on Tuesday, though. Um, is there any, the weather, is, do you have any impact in that situation, or is that like pretty, pretty mundane? That's not a huge impact. I think it's interesting, though, because you don't have a ton of really, really cold weather games. I found in college football, cold weather shows to have a bigger impact. Um, and that's probably because be I have more. Do you think there'll be cold weather for the national championship game? I, I'm, I'm going with 72 degrees plus or minus two. Any humidity? Any wind? I can't. What about barometric pressure? What about it? I think it's overrated. It's, is it even rated? Uh, so what do you make that Packers-Seahawks game? Um, so I, I make it minus 2.7, but the player model actually makes it Green Bay minus nine. So I'm not playing it. Green Bay player model actually loves, loves Aaron Rodgers still. Because of A.A. Ron. Yeah. So, so we combine that, I make it minus 4.1. Got it. Um, and yes, yeah, but wait, 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 wait. You, you, you asked me, yeah, the player model has kind of gotten, um, it, it does, it's not getting the same amount of, it's not getting a ton of weight, it, but so um, you had, to, but, but you, you asked me about temperature though. If you had to play a side, you would take you would take the Seahawks then. I would, but the temperature. The the funny thing is, like you just don't have a ton of games with sub zero temperature or sub freezing temperatures enough to really be able to fit something, um, to 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 really get a good sense of what the actual effect is. And you've had a few high scoring games in like really in, in sort of like the funny thing is in games at like twenty seven degrees, it hasn't shown much of an impact. But then. You have games at like zero degrees, a few games there where it's had a huge impact. But um, so it's one of those things where I don't have really enough data to make a, a, a great, um, a, a really good guess. So um, LSU, Clemson, um, five and a half, 69 now. We, I assume that you still like Clemson at five and a half. Yeah. Uh, I don't, what, what, what has changed? Oh, no, I mean, it was it was you liked them. You would bet them at like six and a half, six, six and a half, seven and a half when we talked six, about this. Six, seven and a half minus 140 and two, plus 202 money line. Right. So now it's, uh, what would you do here? Five and a half, 69 and plus 188 on the money line. What would you do? If Is that what it is right now? Yeah, that's what I'm looking at. I think there's better numbers available. Okay. Well, I'm just on Chris. Right? Oh, okay. Um. If, if it doesn't, I, I still am going to add more before the game. I just, I'm waiting to see if I get a better price. I want to see what it does. I mean, if, if it, if it goes down to like four, I probably won't add more, but if it, if it stays where it is, I will, I will add, but I'm just thinking that there might be more money pushing it up. I don't know. It's hard to tell with these games because it, it the line movement is dominated by public money in a game like this. Right. It's, it's not as big as, it's not as extreme as the Super Bowl, but it's, in the same neighborhood. It's the like distant second cousin. What about the total? Uh, I make the total 68. Yeah. Oh, so very, 68.16. Very uninteresting. Very uninteresting. I mean, if the weather changes, it might change, but <laughs> you get, you get it. Yeah, I get it. You get it. I don't think it'll change with the weather changing. So yeah. <laughs> okay. Here's a, wait, wait. Do you give any home field advantage to LSU here? I think you have to, right? You have to give them a little bit. How much? The, the, it's obviously they're going to get all the regular fan support. I don't know how corporate it is, but they're going to get all that. It's not very far away. It 
I mean, what, that's 45 minute drive from Baton Rouge to, to New Orleans. I don't know. Normal home field. What in college is what? 2.7, 2.8, something. 2.6. Yeah. It's, 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 it's less in recent years. Yeah. So maybe give them half a point home field advantage. I mean, do you think the, the familiarity, the fact, I mean, they, they don't have, it's not like a stadium they're used to. Like Tiger yeah, I mean, stadium. it's a big, it's a big stadium, right? There's their locker rooms are going to be fine. They're going to be nice. It's going to be huge. Like it's there. It, it, I just, I think that the, any advantage will come from the lack of travel and the actual like fan base being like a little bit louder for them. So I don't think it's very much, but maybe half a point. There you have it. There you have it. Definitive. Okay, Definitive. guys. Thanks for the time, and we'll talk to you all again next week. The breakdown, the data, analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are but the engines running off a of leaded. 